All right, we are back for another episode of the Flaming Hot Takes podcast. It's your boy CB. We have a new uh, new little setup for the first time ever. We are actually recording in the same room. Uh, we done came on up, y'all. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to be in the <laughs> same room with you while we get these jokes off. This is good. We can get these jokes off. We can yell at each other face to face. No delay in that recording footage. None of this like, CB, you a punk ass. And then CB <laughs> has to wait like five seconds for that transmission to come through on the other end. <laughs> no, it's nice. It's nice. And this is our first uh, our first recording in the age of Trump. Uh, Dear God, you're right. It's uh, yeah, we are. We're still here, Yo. miraculously. We made it through by the grace of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Still uh, persevering, still eating, still yeah. We're we're still in these streets, um, and we are here today to talk um, about something that we thought in the age of Trump would be a a godsend of sorts, but for many has been a point of contention, and that is the new uh, Dave Chappelle comedy special. Uh, If you've been living under a rock, Dave Chappelle signed a $60 million deal to do a three special, uh, to do three specials for Netflix. Um, And I don't know where you were when you got the news, but when I got the news, I was like, it is about motherfucking time this is exactly what we needed i mean like it's it's amazing that we get that we get that news a little bit i guess after the inauguration but like also right after the election when to be quite honest a lot of us were crying for days we also got the announcement that dave was going to be back hosting snl and we're like yo this is exactly what we need at this time and when it came out like that episode of snl was indeed what we needed to like laugh through the pain um and then you know the news of the special comes out everyone's super excited we'd already had a taste of what dave was like uh in this new sort of um i mean it's a return like it's not dissimilar to jordan coming back and we were waiting to see if this is Jordan coming back in 94 uh, with the 45, or is this Jordan coming back in a Wizards jersey? Yep. Um, and I think for, for some, for some, it was, it was definitely 94. It was 94 Jordan. You know, he came back and he was still balling. Maybe he wasn't quite as fast as he was, but at the same time, you know, he had a few new moves. He had a little bit more old man game incorporated into it. And he's still balling. He didn't get the chip uh, in his first partial season back. But, you know, 95 rolls around and the Bulls are back to being what they were. And for some people, my God, this this shit was was that Wizards jersey. Like the, the, those ugly teal joints and Jordan <laughs> coming down from the front office. And I don't know. I, have you heard about some of the stories about Jordan with the Wizards? Like he, he uh, they adjusted the team rules. So whenever they traveled, the hotel that they stayed at had to be near a really nice golf course. No. So Mike could go golfing. No. Because that, that's important, you know, when, <laughs> when you're playing road games and shit. But uh, – but for some people, uh, it's a little bit controversial. But before we get into the controversy, Jay, um, I wanted to get you know your your feelings on Dave Chappelle. What does Dave Chappelle mean to you? I look at Dave Chappelle's return the way that I look at all returns, and that chances are I loathe them. <laughs> chances are I am not going to be a fan of anyone's grand return. The thing is, is the best thing that you can do in your career as a star once you reach legendary status is be murdered like you should be killed be, be killed he, you know what he did the right thing the first time when he 
just left for Africa and just fell off into obscurity. It was just like, I'm going to get my mind right, whatever the case is, left his career behind and left us fucking thirsty, like left us wanting more. And then from then, everyone gets to imagine what your career would have been if you had had that third season or if you would have continued your career of comedy or if you had, you know, not been shot down on a strip in Las Vegas. Like everybody gets to make up what the future would be for Pac, for Pun, for Big, for Dave Chappelle, for anyone who reaches a legendary status and then has things cut short, right? Right. That is, that's what I generally speaking want because I like that sort of fantasy. I like to imagine and I like to have something that was very short-lived but done very, very well and, 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 and to have that memory untarnished. Yeah. What ends up happening, though, is when somebody makes that return, then instead of that imaginary, like, oh, imagine what so-and-so would have been able to do if they weren't cut short, instead of that picture, which is always a glorious utopia of what the future would have been for that person's career, we get the reality of it. And the reality of it can never, ever compare to what we had imagined in the first place. So usually I'm like, you either like ride out with your career and just do fucking albums every summer. Yep. Or if you take a break, stay your ass retired. Cause that was the greatest <laughs> thing that could have ever happened to your legacy. That's the greatest shit that could have ever happened to your legacy. Coming back is, and, and I guess I was saying, okay, so that was the greatest thing from the artist's perspective in terms of, 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 of what's good for them and their legacy from a fan's perspective, perspective, the reason that we have this problem is because fans, in my opinion, have two choices when it comes to to art and the artist. And I think we, generally speaking, take the wrong choice in that we fall in love with the artist mm-hmm. instead of the artwork. Mm-hmm. If we would look back at Chappelle's show or if we were to look back to a favorite movie or album or so, like the, the artwork of it is what we should love because that artwork will never disappoint us because we can look at that artwork for what it is and it will not change based on what we find out about the artist mm-hmm. and how the artist might change over time. Right. We still have what it was at the time and that's going to be unchanged. Never fall in love with a hero. <laughs> never meet your heroes. Never love your heroes. Ne- never, when it comes to a, to a celebrity, fucking Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, never love anything because that would disappoint you you fall in love with an artist and that artist you will find out inevitably if they're a dude if they're fucking you know happen to be making a nat turner movie just rape some people (laughs) if they happen to be bill cosby just like they will they will will always turn on you or they will say some problematic shit and it will taint their artwork they'll become kanye what is what it is now but you know what i look at that old work you and i can both look at college dropout for what it is because truth be told at least from my perspective I never loved Kanye. Fuck Kanye. <laughs> like, I never loved him as a person. I, when it comes to celebrities, I don't love them as people unless I happen to know them. Right. But if I don't know them, if they, if I don't know them on a personal level, never connect what you, what their work is with how you imagine they are as a person and who they will be in the future. Cause you right. just don't know when you're setting yourself up for that return. And those returns are never fucking what you imagine them to be. Right. So that's how I feel about Dave Chappelle's return in that it wasn't, I mean, problematic shit aside, the comedy special was mildly funny. Hmm. 
Like, I laughed a few times, but I enjoyed more listening to Ali Wong's comedy special. I laughed harder and from my belly listening to other random comedy specials on Netflix most recently than Chappelle's newest one. Did it seem... CB, when was this recorded? Do you know? So, so it's two specials. The first one, what's it called? It's uh, The Age of Spin. That is the most recent recording, and that was recorded in April of 2016. Um, it was recorded a little after uh, Fife died and a little after Gary Shandling died. Um, the second one, Deep in the Heart of Texas, that was actually recorded two years ago in uh, March, I believe, of 2015. So it's not like... So like, unless they were recorded between five to ten years ago, there's no excuse for these jokes seeming so old. Like, this should seem like... Like, he's he seemed like he was behind the curve in all the topical shit that he's bringing up, like... A recurring OJ theme? Shut the fuck up. Uh, I like, like, and uh, I didn't watch the OJ special, so I'm, I'm like, I didn't get the resurgence of the popularity of OJ Simpson in the trial. So that's probably where it came from. But that's on but you. Like, that's that's um, granted, granted. Like, that I, was- that's that's admittedly like I'm feeling like these jokes were old, like. The Bill Cosby and Stephen Avery and OJ stuff, it just seemed, by the time that we were watching this or by the time Netflix released it, maybe not by any fault of his own, it just seemed like the references were so out of date that, like, uh, like seemed just, just old. I guess we should probably go ahead and say that they're spoilers. So, uh, uh, to, to the extent that we can avoid trying to poorly retell jokes, we will avoid that. But if you haven't watched the Dave Chappelle special, I would thoroughly suggest... Watch at least the first one. If you can watch the second one, watch the second one. And just as a general suggestion, watch the second one first and then watch the first one um, to really kind of get a handle on this conversation, the controversy, and and some of the things that we're going to talk about. Um, But, yeah, there's going to be spoilers in this bitch. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, as far as there, there are a series of OJ jokes, they tells, and the OJ jokes are about the times that he met OJ Simpson. And I think... Um, that's on you for not for like missing the resurgence the of OJ resurgence and, and of the it. importance of OJ. I mean, shit. Uh, the OJ if that's going to be a theme, you want that. You want still, even if it's a recurrence, you want OJ Simpson to be the theme that you're going to bring up four OJ Simpson like references in an hour long special. Fuck out of here. And this is from somebody who enjoyed it. I'm, I'm not trying to hate on the on the hours. I enjoyed it. I liked it, especially for someone who never like love Chappelle as a person, but really did love Chappelle show and his work and always thought that his stand-up comedy was like good, but not amazing. Right. Like as a stand-up comedian, I think most of us would agree that he was far better at sketch than he was at stand-up through most of his career. I would say in the hierarchy of Chappelle's like comedic skills, it would go number one sketch, number two stand-up, number three film. Like I think that's... I, I think you're being a little generous to film, um, <laughs> I mean, but uh, maybe it shouldn't make the list at all. No, I will. I will. I'll agree with that in terms of his skill set, what he's good at, what he's known for. I do think with Chappelle, there was a bit of. Mm, I feel like after Chappelle show came out, there was more of an appreciation of previous stand up where people were going back and looking at the stuff they was doing before. And they were, they were really seeing, okay, so this, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of people attribute genius level jokes to his, his race dialogue, like his, mm-hmm. his, the way that he sees and perceives race and talks about race. And after Chappelle show, the first season, 
people were going back and looking at old stuff that Dave did and realized it's always been there. So it was a, there's a bit of revision, revisionist mm-hmm. history, I would say, about his stand-up. Uh, the stand-up that he did... A high degree of revisionist history. I mean, the, the, stand-up, the stand-up special that he did at the Fillmore, live at the Fillmore, I think was great. Like, that one, that one was hilarious. That was the one uh, right after season two of The Chappelle Show. Remind me details of this one. Um, some, of the, some of the big jokes from that one were when he was riding Just, on the bus and there was a homeless dude that was beating off on the bus. Like, there was that bit. Yeah, um, yep. was him talking. This was him uh, getting high with his friend and then getting pulled over. Was it that one? Yes, I believe that was no, 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 no. No, that wasn't that. One. No, that wasn't that one. That was one when he was high one. and his friend was white and his friend was yeah. just like, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Yeah, no, no. no was, I'm pretty sure that was an older special. Okay. Um, the I, I, like, I mean, he talks about going to Disney World with his kids and people walking up to him like, I'm Rick James. Ah, uh, like, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Uh, so like that, like that special, I thought was great, but soon after that special was when like, I mean, he like he had he had to leave, like. He realized that the audience that loved the Chappelle show, or a lot of the audience that loved the Chappelle show, weren't laughing with him. They, they were, were laughing, laughing at, at him, yep. and they were laughing at black people. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, and I think that I think I think that that reason for leaving the show is completely valid. I totally understand why I needed to like take a step back and realize like. Did, did I create a monster? Like, am I am I like making things worse mm-hmm. as opposed to actually making things better? But I don't know. Like, Dave, like Dave Chappelle as a do comedian, you think his new work shows something uh, revelatory in terms of his understanding of that previous situation and why he left to begin with? Yes and no. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll like I'll say a little bit about like my feelings on Dave Chappelle. I'm a big Dave Chappelle fan, and Chappelle Show arrived at a pretty important time for me just in life because Chappelle Show dropped when I was in high school, and my experience in high school was going to this private school. I was the only black kid in my class, and I went to school with racist motherfuckers. Like you must have been a like, junior or senior then, right? Uh, when came out. I think season two was my junior year. Um, pretty sure season two was my junior year. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it was, it's like, it was like comedic levels of racism that I experienced and I needed, I needed to find like outlets and things to sort of like reaffirm who I knew that I was. And kind of like, once I left that school environment, um, you know, build myself back up and Chappelle show was a really important piece to that. Just, just sheer, like, it was funny. Like, it's mm-hmm. right up my my alley in terms of comedy. I think people that can make really poignant jokes about race, I love that. I love really good sketch comedy. And, like, he he was clicking on all cylinders with Chappelle's show. Um, but I, I was able to recognize that, like, there's a clear disconnect between what I was laughing at and what I thought was funny and what my classmates were laughing at, what my classmates thought were funny. And the mm-hmm. big, like, culmination of that was the Rick James sketch. Like, everybody came into school the next day laughing about how funny that was. And, like, while the I'm, I'm Rick James bitch stuff was funny to them, I was like, but you guys realize, like, like Rick James is a real person. Like, <laughs> that dude, that, that other dude that wasn't Charlie Murphy talking, like, that is actually Rick James. And that person that you saw Dave Chappelle playing was exactly who he was. Mm-hmm. So, like, 
it's funny because it's fucked up. Mm. Like, it's not funny because this is some, like, imaginary character that does wild shit like slap grown men and, <laughs> st- and lick women in the face. Like, you know that he, like, kidnapped a woman and burned her with cigarettes in his closet. Like, <laughs> cocaine is indeed a hell, hell of a drug. drug. Like, like, these ain't really jokes. Yep. <laughs> um, and so... I, I I've I've been a fan of Dave and his comedy. Like I like I just remember getting going to college and uh, no, it's actually my perspective visit. So I'm watching Chappelle's show with a bunch of like college students. I knew mm-hmm. all the sketches, mm-hmm. like like repeating them verbatim, and and the guys on campus are like, "Man, you must watch this a lot." Like, nah, like it just clicks with me. Where like I like I just pick it up. Like it's like, I get it. Like, I get where he's coming from. I get the jokes that he's trying to make. And I think that, you know, for me, I completely understood why he left. Um, and I was anxious to see him get back. But I think that, and I think a lot of other people were anxious to see him get back. But I also think that in that time that he took off, a lot of shit changed. Mm-hmm. A lot of shit changed in comedy. A lot of shit changed in the way that we talk about things. And... I just don't think that I don't I don't think that he he was ready. Like it it's kinda like in, in a way to me, like I thought that I thought that the specials were funny. Like mm-hmm. there are a lot of laugh out loud funny things and a lot of things that are classic Dave. And uh but like it was kinda like seeing like if Shaq were to come back and play in the NBA right now, like uh-huh. you could, like if, if Shaq came back even in his prime and you dropped him off in today's NBA, like something's gonna be off. Like all these folks shooting threes, Shaq's not quite as fast as the other centers, like he's not gonna be able to close out and guard like stretch four, stretch fives. And while he's still dominant and there's certain things like you get the ball to Shaq in the post, like ain't nobody gonna be able to hold him, like that's that's not the game anymore. That's not the only aspect of the game. And I think that in some ways the specials kind of reflected that um, the biggest controversy. So I like I saw it, and before I saw it, I knew that people were talking about um, some of the jokes that who were making and how disappointed that they were um, to hear the jokes that he was making, particularly about gay people and about transgender mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, before I make any judgments, let me just watch and let me see. I've never been one when it comes to, um, I guess, like, the quote-unquote, like, outraged police. I've never been one, if, especially in comedy. I've never been one to just, like, make a snap judgment unless I'm, like, really familiar with a comedian and their mm-hmm. comedy and the way that they get down. Um, I, I always like to, like, all right, let me just, like, listen to the joke. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff that we laugh at and a lot of things that comedians do is really taking us to super dark places and telling it in a way that's funny and, and amusing. Absolutely. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to give it like an honest, an honest shake. And I see why, I see why some people are, are offended. Um, I definitely see why they're offended and they have a lot of reasons to be offended. That being said, there are some people who on top of being offended were disappointed and, to ba- going back to your point about falling in love with the art and not the artist, I, I looked at them, and in addition to seeing, like, you clearly fell in love with an artist, and what did you think the art was before? Like, mm-hmm. the reality, again, the reality of comedy is that there's a lot of stuff that's said that's offensive, and we're going to get these jokes off. 
and we're all going to laugh and we're going to come together. And I think there, I mean, a lot of people in comedy try to do that, particularly when they're talking about things that are really controversial, when they're talking about race, when they're talking about gender, when they're talking about politics. I think a lot of comedians try to frame jokes in a way that like we can all laugh. Um, and some people fail miserably. Like, I mean, it's like Carlos Mencia. Like, Carlos Mencia is constantly making fun of, like, disabled people. Or is, is disabled the right term? Um, yeah. I'll, I'll come back. Less able-bodied. Yes, less able-bodied. <laughs> less able-bodied people. Carlos Mencia would do that. And he's like, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, it's like, I want to treat them as equal. So that's why I make fun of them. I'm like, man, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, you are, you, you're. It's low-hanging fruit. Like, it's clearly low-hanging fruit, and it doesn't seem like you actually care about these people or have any connection to this group of people. There are other people that are able to do it in ways that are really interesting, and we can all laugh and bring each other together. And Dave Chappelle was one of those people. Mm -hmm. And I think that something that was interesting about the comedy special and the, I guess you can call it outrage, or at the least, like, people, people were disappointed and offended to the point where they felt the need to like write about it. So uh, the new Republic put out a piece by Eric Sasson that talked about these specials and the things that Dave had to say about uh, homosexual and uh, transgender people. And I understand the offense, but like I went back and thought about like, the jokes, like all, all of the jokes, not just the ones about those people. And I was like, Dave really did though. Kind of clap at everybody. Like just going off the list of like offensive jokes. He made a joke about a, a black woman getting beat up by the LAPD. Oh, that was sort of cringeworthy. I saw that videotape of that lady that got beat up in LA in the traffic. You see that shit on rush hour traffic. They beat a black woman's ass. This woman didn't even do anything wrong. It's fucked up. It was so fucked up. It didn't even go to court. The city of L.A. just gave that woman $1.5 million for her pain and suffering. That is not bad, considering that's the same amount of money that Marcos Maidana made to fight Floyd Mayweather the second time. And this woman obviously hasn't trained a day in her life. You can see it on the tape. She didn't come to fight. Her guards were low. She was taking a lot of shots. It was cringeworthy, but it was kind of funny. It was funny in the beginning. The only part that made me cringe toward the end is when he was like, "She was taking a lot of blows. She didn't have her." Arms. Well, but that, but that, but that's going, but that's going back to that's going back to you know, like she got paid the same amount of money that uh, <laughs> Madonna got paid to fight to fight Mayweather. Fight Mayweather, like like that, like like it goes it goes hand in hand with the joke. Like he made jokes about Flint. He made jokes about. OJ and like like that that was the moment where I think everyone should have known that like it's going to kind of be what it's always been and that there go there's going to be like some observations that are made that aren't the most comfortable and like he like it comes to me just a quick just a quick note on that Usually, I try to identify who the butt of the joke is. Yeah. When it came to OJ, OJ was the butt of the joke. When it came to Flint, it was people outraged at the fact that he went to the Oscars instead of Flint. Those people were the butt of the joke. Sure. I cringed on the woman being attacked by the police because the woman was the butt of the joke. Yes. The one taking the blows. Yes. So, usually, that's when I try to identify whether I think a joke is like, oh, this is funny because you're trying to use comedy to bring us to some higher truth. Or some something that's revelatory, mm -hmm. or make fun of something that is actually ridiculous, which is fine. 
Or if you're just being a dick and you're like making fun of someone for being beaten by the police. That's where I think some outrage would be legitimate based on who the butt of the joke is. And if it's just that Mencia low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Or if it's something that you are trying to get to some clever higher truth through who you're actually making fun of and who the joke is at the expense of. Or or if the joke just isn't that funny. Um, I think, I mean, I, right. yeah, I totally, totally. Like, uh, Bomani Jones made the, made the point that like part of the problem with some of the jokes is that they weren't that funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true. That's true in general. Like it's a lot easier to be outraged and lambast a joke about a topic if it's not very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought, so he has a series of OJ jokes, you know, four times that he met OJ. And the first one, uh, he talks about, uh, I won't like say the whole joke, but he says, you know, I met, I met OJ after a show and he was there with his soon to be slain wife and everyone groaned and like he, he made the observation. It's like, come on. It's been 20 years. You know, you know, what's going to happen. You know, what's happen. You know like, what happened. Also, also, it's like it's a comedy show, a, and it's Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. and this this is who he's always been, and he's old, like, I I worry with a lot of art in general that we expect the we we talk about and expect art to do things that it may not be the best at. For example, like rap music, mm-hmm. I think there is a large contingency of people who are big rap fans. You know, we're both rap fans, but there are some that look to rap music to be another genre of music that they can sit and enjoy. Um, And there are other people that look to rap music as being a a force of change, like a way to convey messages and expose things. And I'm like, hmm. You know, there are, like, academics that are, like, actually doing work on the ground that, like, have <laughs> written papers about these things. Like, I don't think I don't think that an art form that requires you to fit a certain number of words within, like, a rhyme scheme is the best way to talk about police violence. Uh, uh-huh. Like, it might be it might be an interesting way of starting a dialogue and then bringing in some other people. And for those who do that and can do that lyrically, yeah. then great more power to, but to look, but to say that that's a requirement for it to, to exactly. be entertained by this type of music. Yes. And I, I think I, that that's, I think, and I think in some ways comedy is kind of in that same boat. Like, yes, you can absolutely use comedy as a force of change, but should we expect it? I don't think so. And should we be quick to, attribute those sorts of things to people, I think we should wait and see. Because at the end of the day, particularly with an observational comedy, these are the observations of a regular motherfucker. Like, Mm -hmm. the difference between them and that dude that's, like, leaning on the post on a packed train that won't let people hold on to the bar because he's like, yeah, I need to put my hold back on this motherfucker, (laughs) is that that dude or that woman on stage tells stories better. Like, Mm. that's really what it is. Like, the purpose of comedy is to make people laugh. And some people... Make people laugh at like you know silly day to day things like the stuff that like Jim Jim Gaffigan talks about with like mm-hmm. family and whatnot. And there are other people that talk about race, they talk about gender, they talk about sexuality, and it's not necessarily meant to be like the deepest, um, you know, most thought through like, intellectual conversation. It's meant to be jokes, right? I think 
I think when it comes to a level of audience sensitivity, when it comes to jokes that are, you know, demeaning or attacking a, a, a vulnerable population or whatever the case is, something that may be considered a little too risque or a little too, you know, something that would make the audience uncom- uncomfortable, let's say that. I think it's the comedian who is trying to make the audience laugh. It is their goal, right? Yeah. It is up to them to know their audience and to adapt if they are trying to be funny. I think that the burden is on them. And if it's going to be something that is grossly offensive to the point that the audience does not laugh and yeah. they're like upset and you know there's the outrage over it, okay, maybe that outrage is unfounded, whatever the case is, because that they the comedian does not owe them you know um, um, political correctness or, or or to care about their feelings at all. Yeah. What the comedian does care about and should you know obviously rightfully cares about is making them laugh. Yep. And if they're failing at making them laugh, well, guess what? You're a shitty comedian. Yep. Like that's the bottom line is if you are if you are off putting to your audience, you can look at them like, you know, Chris Rock may have done recently say, like, I don't want to do college shows anymore because they're too politically correct. Well, fuck you, Chris Rock. Be funnier. Like that's going to be your audience. Your job is to make that audience laugh. Like then, yes, by all means, don't play at those shows anymore, because guess what? You're not fucking funny enough to make those people laugh anymore. Sure. You are too old and you don't understand what is in touch with those people to for them to find funny. They're going to think you're just a fucking asshole and they're not going to laugh. Your job as a comedian to make the audience laugh. Yeah. You can like rightfully and understandably push back against their outrage and say, hey, you guys didn't understand my comedy or whatever. But you're the one who wants them to understand your joke because you are the one soliciting laughs from them. That's true. That's that, bottom line for me. That's true. But <laughs> I think I think in the same way I think in the same way that it's a comedian's job to make an audience laugh and it's it's on them whether or not they can bring the audience with them. I do think that like we as an audience need to get a little bit smarter and stop looking to basically stop going to things like comedy shows and expecting it to be Social commentary. So, yeah, well, it can be social commentary, but stop expecting it to, I guess, stop expecting it to be smart. Like, 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 stop, like, stop. We as an audience need to be smarter and expect that the art that we're consuming is dumber. Well, yeah, like, look, if I, if I, I, like, I personally would love to, to go see Dave Chappelle perform. But I'm me not too. going. I, let me say, because I might have made myself sound like I am not a Chris Rock fan or I'm not a Dave Chappelle fan. fan. Love them both. Like, love both of their work. But I'm fully under the understanding that their job, their burden is to make me laugh and the yeah. audience laugh. Yeah. And that is, that's bottom line. Whether I'm, like, outraged at what they say or not is beside the point. Yeah. The point is, did did they make me laugh or did they not? Yeah. But I'm not, but again, like, if... If I get the opportunity to buy a ticket to see Dave Chappelle perform, I'm not going in with the exact same expectations that I would have going to watch Michael Eric Dyson give us give a talk. Like, <laughs> and I think that that's what some people kind of kind of see certain comedians as being. Like they exist in this world that is kind of like academia because they are able to make complex yeah concepts think, uh, attainable for some people yep. but i think i think in in some instances and i do think in the dave Chappelle uh, situation we completely ignore the artist's own humanity and where they're at and when we do that so the thing the thing that i watched the Chappelle specials knowing is like look dave decided in what 2007 was it um to walk away from everything and 
he was like, look, I can't deal with this. Like, I am leaving money so I can just disconnect from everything, mm-hmm. be off the grid, find myself, recenter myself, and then figure out, you know, how I'm going to take things from there. And in that time, again, the whole game changed. Like, there's the advent of social media, and it connected people in a way that we weren't connected before. It was speeding up the ways in which we were able to adapt and learn about people. And there are certain concepts that just, like, unless you are super plugged in uh, to social media, to different groups of people, you're seeing these conversations, you see the different ways that comedians are failing because they aren't as connected as their audience. Um, Like you're going to come in and you're going to do some things that aren't going to connect with that, with that audience group. And I think that to a certain degree, we should kind of have treated Dave like Captain America when he came off ice and like, <laughs> hey, my nigga, we gonna like ease you into things because you know <laughs> it's a whole you, new world out here now. Yeah, like I mean, like that's basically what happened with these comedy specials. Like you know, he entered a whole new world where like transgender people are normal. Like they, there are so many people for mm-hmm. whom like this isn't a weird concept. But if and I, I, I hate I hate the term like we need to, need to step out of your bubble, uh, <laughs> especially when like conservative people will use it to talk about like all oh, the, the liberal elites, you coastal elites mm-hmm. living in your yeah. bubbles. Um, but I think that you know, D- like Dave existed in a bubble, and he he existed in a bubble in goddamn West Bumblefuck, Ohio. It be like we're both from the Midwest, and we know like look con- concepts like. Being transgender, it's tough for some people in large part because they don't have the opportunity to interact with anyone who's transgender, to have those conversations or even like, like to have a conversation with someone that's like a step away. Like you may, you may not personally know someone who's transgendered, but I mean, we, we at the least know somebody that knows somebody. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, if, if you're in like, you know, suburbs, far suburbs of Dayton, Ohio, you're not really going to know anybody. And all you're going to know is people are saying that I should be tolerant and I should understand this idea that there are people that are born with, you know, with their, with their gender, like, like anybody else would be. And at some point in their life, they're like, like something's not right. And there's an adjustment that has to happen. And I think, I think in these comedy specials, we are witnessing the same adjustment that lots of people get to go through in private. The difference is they're not comedians and they aren't making jokes about it. And Dave made jokes about it. And that shit did not go over well at all. So I want to ask you about that when we're talking about Dave Chappelle's return. Uh, But just to rewind very quickly, I really do like the rap analogy that you made about some people looking at the, 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 the medium of music as something that, that has to be something that is educational and social justice. They want, they want like every rapper to have a degree of immortal tech, like in exactly. one way or another. Right. Um, another sort of rap analogy that I think of is when Nas and Jay first had their beef, actually when they first like ended it. Yeah. Um, and they, I remember them doing an interview together and we had all expected down the road and Nas and Jay-Z track now, like, like the, 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 the beef is officially squashed. They're going to have to do a track together. Yeah. So of course someone was asking them about, you know, when is this song going to come out? When are you guys going to be in the studio together? And Jay said something that I remembered, which is there has to be a reason yeah. like to do something just because you could artistically, 
is to set yourself up for failure. Is to yeah. set you like like there's like don't do it just for no reason. When there's a reason, when there's something that they want to get on together, then they'll get on it together and yeah. it'll actually be inspired, right? So pulling this back to Dave Chappelle, I would ask you, I'm curious your take on this. You said you understood Chappelle's departure from stardom. Yeah. Why come back? And based on whatever that 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 why is, do you think he was successful in what he wanted to accomplish in coming back? The first reason to come back is sixty motherfucking million dollars. <laughs> like, <laughs> white people write big motherfucking checks. Yeah, man. Like, yo, Netflix came with, a, with, with one of those like publishers clearinghouse checks, <laughs> full size. Came Two through. people holding it with four hands. Hell checks. yeah, they pulled up the Brinks truck. And asked, it, you know, we're like, yo, can we get But the he had turned special? down money before, so yeah. what's, no, what's the true. second it's reason true. then? He had turned true. down so, you know how much money he would have gotten for the third season of Chappelle? I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I think ultimately he came back because he's an entertainer. Like, as much as, he, he again, he came back the same reason that Jordan came back in a Wizards jersey. Like, you just mm-hmm. can't stay away. Like, you mm-hmm. feel like you still got something left in the tank. So you're going to lace them up. You know, get out here and you're gonna get these buckets. And like Dave can still get buckets. Like that's the mm-hmm. thing. I think I think that uh, Jordan is the analogy that we use because that's the best example of like an leaving, athlete returning leaving and returning to and, prominence. Yeah. And, and like I mean, I don't think that it's apt to say that these specials were him in a wizard jersey because it's better than that. Like mm-hmm. jo- Jordan on the Wizards is painful to watch. Um, Jordan has some gems in the Wizards. Too. He did, he did, he did. But like by and large, it just wasn't the same. And I think that to your point, we do have this sort of revisionist history about Dave's ability to do stand up, and he is, in terms of comedy as a whole, he is one of the greats. But in large part, he's one of the greats because of the Chappelle Show. Yes, and what he was able to do with sketches and characters, and you know, kind of talking about things. Like, all right, so here's one of the things that I kind of bristle at or push back on as a Dave Chappelle fan. A lot of people talk about Dave Chappelle as a genius when it comes to race, and I don't necessarily think that Dave was a genius in terms of like racial thought. I think he was a genius in that he was one of the first black comedians that was able to get largely white audiences to laugh at the race shit that we laugh at. Yeah. Like you look at some of his most classic Chappelle show race sketches, like Clayton Bigsby is the sort of thing where it's like, if, if, if you get like a bunch of niggas in a room, like we can come, we can come up with that and like <laughs> laugh at that concept and like yeah. understand yeah. it. But to get like white people in on he it, and like, oh my god, well. this is so funny. Or like the reparations skit, like the reparations skit is actually kind of racist as fuck because there's all of these black people getting reparations checks, and the most stereotypically black shit happens. Mm. You know, KFC stock goes up, and you know, Tron is now the richest man <laughs> in the in the world because of a dice game. Like there are all these things that like. You know, if we if we if we really get into like the academics of it, it's <laughs> perpetuating ter- terrible ne- negative stereotypes about black people. The mad real world where like <laughs> Shank Dad gets stabbed, like, and then he handed off the shift to my man. And the dude and the dudes have sex with his girlfriend, like, I, like yeah, big ties. Exactly, like the like it's, this, again, it's not. It, this isn't like the the deepest of conversations it's just he's brilliant in that he was able to bring mad 
again, largely white audiences to where black people have been for a really long time. And, like, we could all come together and laugh at things. We could all come together and laugh at the Rick James sketch. We could all come together and laugh at Tyrone Biggums, like, as a character. Uh-huh. Like, there, yeah. there are all these gems that he was able to bring all different sorts of people together. And we can all have fun here. The racial draft. Yep. I feel like yep. black people have been doing the racial draft for like yep. 30 years yep. in the barbershop and yep. all that shit. Not but not like, original, not new at all. No. That was just something that was the first time put into a sketch that was for wide public consumption. Exactly. And I think that that's really the genius. It's not necessarily his insight yeah. into racial dynamics. Because I mean, he's always kind of had this like, we're all the same. Like, we're all kind of going through the same things. But it's a little bit different. Like, mm. that's always been a recurring theme in his comedy. And I think that in this, in these particular specials, he tried to do something similar and talk about gay people and talk about transgender people. And for a lot of folks, it just didn't hit. And it came off as very transphobic, very homophobic. And I think that part of that is Dave showing, Dave showing us where he's at as a person, just like, with these ideas and with these concepts. And he was, I mean, he'd tell the jokes and was very much like, you know, I care about these people, but like I have, there's a hurdle that I still need to get over mentally. And I mean, he did the, the struggle Olympics with it. And and, and it's kind of true. Like it's interesting to look at, you know, in certain aspects, the ability of certain groups to advance and get, the sort of legislation passed that they wanted passed. And for black people, this is shit that we've been literally been fighting centuries for. Mm-hmm. I mean, he came at it from a place that sounded a bit bitter and that, you know, that bitter feeling kind of manifests itself in a maybe transphobic, maybe homophobic way. But at the same time, like he's a person that's growing. And, and this is why I suggest people watch the second special before the first, I think when you watch him in that order, you can kind of see like the growth that's happening there and the way that he kind of adjusts, like in the first, in the second special, he has a joke about a trans woman and the joke is kind of hinged on the debate about, pronouns gendered pronouns when you get to the when you get to um the age of spin there is no debate there's no monologue about pronouns like he's he's got the pronouns thing down and they're a year apart and so in that respect you can see a certain level of growth but like if all you do is you know kick it on twitter and admittedly i spend a lot of time on twitter and a lot of i i have been able to educate myself via twitter and learn like how to talk about things and like what it, what is and isn't you know transphobic and I've personally come a long way when it comes to understanding things like transgender people and you know what that actually means and some some people aren't 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 about that like they they're not in those spaces and they're in their day to day lives yeah, they're not they interacting with those people to it. but yeah on the whole I thought I, I I thought they were funny I think there's some things that he needs to work out but I thought that they were funny. Is there a particular high or low point for you? Something where you were laugh out loud funny during it, or you just were like, ooh, this is not the Chappelle I remember or wanted? Um, hmm. While you think about that, I'm going to go ahead and share. Um, before we actually started recording, I told you my high point where he was uh, 
Talking about sucking dick just to pass the time. Just yeah. I, I, I died laughing at that. And <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, just <laughs> sucking a dick to pass the time. I, I fell out laughing. Um, low point for me was this long, maybe five to ten minute story toward the end of the first comedy special where he was talking about Kevin Hart. Yeah. Um, that was a low point for me mostly because... I think there was too much a degree of truth to it in terms of his bitterness and possibly why he's returning to comedy in that he saw his star fading and he saw other people shining and he felt jealous. Um, One of my favorite quotes, one of my favorite quotes, especially as it relates to comedy, is just uh, comedy is just a funny way of being serious. And I think mm-hmm. that that is very much true in that Kevin Hart story where, for those of you who have listened to it, you already know what I'm talking about. For those who haven't yet, toward the end of the first hour of the comedy special, he's talking about Kevin Hart and how his son really wanted to go to this Kevin Hart show and how he took his son to this Kevin Hart show and his son was just fawning over Kevin Hart. And then he looked to see how much money Kevin Hart made and we all know just how successful and how much of a yeah. mogul Kevin Hart has become. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's taken every single black comedian movie role in the past, like, Five years, he's been doing a thousand movies, uh, you know, a day, it seems like, right? He's the one. So he's talking about Kevin Hart, but he's talking about it in, like, more of this, like, fuck Kevin Hart, I'm so jealous of him type of way. He's doing all this shit. And I was like, yeah, that's funny, but that's all that's that's part of the reason you on stage right now yep it's <laughs> part of the reason you on stage right now is you saw that success and at least a little bit of, and he's trying to be you know like like self-deprecating and and referring back to it but the self-deprecation didn't work to me the same way because i'm just like no nah, but that's really true yeah and see i thought that that was funny because i thought that that showed a level of, i mean he's talking about something that's serious and i like to me that was like the flip side of the three dave sketch where his son was like dad nick cannon is hilarious <laughs> and it's like like there is there is no well fuck you son nick cannon just walked off with your school clothes money it's like yo kevin hart is hilarious and it's like little nigga you right you right exactly exactly like, he is I, I i didn't think that that was a low point i enjoyed that i don't know like Oddly, I liked the OJ jokes because really? I, I like I found them. Really, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that they were the best part, but I liked them because they were like palate cleansers. It's like, have you ever been to have you ever been to a restaurant that has you know they'll bring out like little things in between, sure. uh, in between the different yes. courses as you know palate cleansers. They're like little palate cleansers, like I liked, little shot, little shot and, of gazpacho. And, and, yeah, exactly. I like. Um, the the structure of it yeah. breaking up that hour long comedy special by randomly dousing in and this is the second time that this thing happened and this is the third time and then coming back and saying oh by the way this was the last time that I promised you guys I would mention I really like that in terms of pacing and it's it's technical usage I guess of the comedy special yeah what I didn't like is that it was just about fucking OJ like that I didn't think they were particularly funny besides the one. Sid be fucked up when the first one where he was yeah. just like soon to be slain wife yeah. like that was hilarious but there were a few um i can't remember the details of the second or third one but one one of them i remember thinking like oh, I, I don't even like there was not a point 
to telling that story beside the fact that you had promised that there would be four and this was indeed a time that you met OJ. Yeah, he pro- but there wasn't like a punchline to it. He promised that they, he promised that there will there would be four and he did say that they aren't all going to be funny, but I'm going to tell you the four times that I met OJ because when the when the special was being recorded, it was like peak, you know, the People versus OJ Simpson, I think it just come out. The OJ 30 for 30 was going then to come I out totally, soon. I will totally like, concede that in like terms in, of like the timing of this being released just didn't work out well. Yeah. Like it, some of the, it dated some of the jokes exactly. in a way that like made it seem, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because there was a very big sort of groundswell of OJ Simpson popularity and conversation around it when this was actually recorded. But then by the time, like now, like it's, it seems a little far removed. So definitely not his fault. The fault of whoever, you know, whatever delay just happened to happen between its filming and us being able to consume it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of my favorite jokes in it was the the joke that he told about getting pulled over by a police with his friend mm-hmm. and i found it to be interesting because it was very much like when he it was part two of the joke that he told way back in the day about him in the car with his white friend chip and, <laughs> and, and chip, chip was, was drunk. like <laughs> chip was drunk but dave was high and chip said well i didn't know i couldn't I do didn't that no i couldn't do that and it's all fr- it's all framed from the perspective of two black men in a car together but dave having the Celebrity. understanding that like at this point in my life, like, I'm not the same black dude that was in the car with Chip back in the day. Like, mm-hmm. people know me, and I have a certain level of privilege, but my homie is scared shitless. Yeah. yeah. And one of my favorite I subtle that was parts. Good. Yeah, one of my favorite subtle parts in that joke was the setup for it, where he said very, very briefly and very, very casually that we were two black men in the car, or my friend was black, yeah. which isn't important to the story except to say that there was fear in the car. Exactly. Like, that was genius to me yeah. because he was, and he took himself out of that, obviously, the way that you were saying, because he realizes that he has a level of celebrity now that he doesn't need to worry about the police in the same way that another black person might. So he was like, my friend is black. Only important to say that, to say that there was fear in the car right. coming from his friend as being a non-celebrity black male being pulled over by the police. Exactly. Um, so I think as we as we start to wind this thing on down, I think that now is as good a, good a time as any to um, welcome Dave Chappelle to uh, <laughs> the Hall of Fame of Problematic Faves. Uh, it is official. Dave Chappelle is problematic as fuck. Um, and I think that it's on all of us to kind of understand, uh, where, where is our own individual line? Because I think that that's something that kind of like gets missed in general when we're talking about people and it's like, oh, it's time to cancel somebody because, you know, they did this and they did this and they did this. And, you know, we all have our, we all have our own individual lines. And I think that often we don't have the ability to kind of take a step back and examine examine the artwork as a whole and sort of compartmentalize. Like maybe for you, this is something that like, look, this what this person did is you just can't support it anymore. Mm-hmm. And that that is your line. But but, you know, for other like you're fine with other people supporting it. Uh, like an like an example that I'll give, you know, I have a lot of friends. You know, we uh, we have a good friend Sam who's from Boston. You know, Manchester by the Sea came out. Wanted to see Manchester by the Sea. Sam asked me if I wanted to see it, and I was like, I'm sorry, bro, like I can't do it. Yeah. You know, that for me is a line that I can't. I, I for look, you you got you got to be amazing for me to cross the like. You are likely a you know rapist and someone that like. 
thinks less of women um, in that way. And I like I I'll just pass on mm-hmm. on supporting your movie. Maybe I'll catch it if it's on you know HBO or whatever. But like I'm not I'm not going to pay money not for that sort of thing. It, right. And I think I think that there are some people that are really good at. Just saying, look, it's not for me, for other people. I understand, and I get it. I think when it came to the Birth of a Nation controversy, I thought that Roxanne Gay had a really great piece where she, she laid everything out. And she's like, look, it's not necessarily that I want Birth of a Nation to fail, but I'm telling you why. Like, like just know for me. Yeah. Like, you, do, you do what you think is best, and I think that there are some people that are going to go see it, and that's good for them. But for me, nah. Um, I think that we as an audience, as a people can get much better at understanding where our own individual lines are and deciding, you know, whether or not it's, it's worth like getting people behind boycotting a particular person. And I think part, I think a large part of that has to do with whether or not that person's art is tied to what it is they did. Perfect example, R. Kelly. Biggest issue with R. Kelly is in addition to... The alleged, and I'm using air quotes, alleged, biggest um, air quotes, uh, you know, sexual assaults, to be quite honest. Like, um, his art is about that shit. Like, he wrote AJ Nothing But a Number. Uh, <laughs> like, Bump and Grind is really pro- problematic when you think about all of the stuff that he's accused of doing. Mm-hmm. Like, the art, the art is tied to that. And for other people, the art is not tied to that, which is why some people can still support Bill Cosby because, like, there's nothing nothing about the Cosby Show is about sexual assault. At least I can remember. I don't. I don't remember the sexual assault uh, episode of the Cosby <laughs> Show. That being said, Bill Cosby is one of the might be the handsiest TV dads ever, and that made me really uncomfortable as I got up before, like. Before the entire like the like shit really hit the fan with that, like I watched the Cosby Show, like man, he's really like he's like real close to cupping Felicia Rashad's titty on TV. This is a prime time on NBC. Like I don't, I don't remember seeing this sort of shit on like I don't know Family Matters. <laughs> Carl ain't never get that close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl, Carl was nothing like <laughs> squeezing Harriet's booty and stuff. Like, damn. <laughs> I think that is uh, excellent advice, man. I'm totally with you in terms of of the art and the artist. And um, I, I, I think, again, pointing back to how I feel about things is, is, is never just to protect my own fandom and my own protecting myself from heartbreak when it comes to uh, what might end up being problematic faves is I am very, very choosy in particular in terms of what people I fall in love with. Yep. If I'm going to fall in love with a person, I'm going to fall in love with someone who I expect their work, their academia, their art, whatever it is, to be very much tied into the person that they are. And that reflects my values for those people where it could be very different or for someone, you know, is is making a movie or whatever with a character who I highly identify with. I don't give a fuck about that actor actress yeah. still because chances are they just might end up being, you know, terrible. Yep, they might they might be shit. Uh, and I'll just say, as a general uh, rule of thumb, and something that I've told many a friend uh, in person and on Twitter, y'all need to stop expecting so goddamn much from people in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Humanity. Humanity. Man, Humanity. Uh, I feel like a long history of being every, trash. Uh, every other episode ends up pointing back to this where that just breaks my heart. CB is like, Jordan, you think too much, too highly of people. And I'm like, God damn it, you might be right. I don't want you to be right, though. I don't want you to be I, right. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why y'all expect so much people. <laughs> We've been fucking up for a long time. We're gonna have to have a really. We're gonna have to have a podcast episode just dedicated to this ideology of the inherent goodness or ain't shitness of people, and just have me and CB just talk about the philosophy of it and our opposing views. Because I think we really do have inherently different views when it comes to people's inherent qualities. Yes, I believe in original sin, and our original sin is we ain't shit, <laughs> and we may not ever be shit. <laughs> Oh man, and somehow I am I am on the optimistic end of this. Um yeah, which know. is which is a hopeful life and it's it's one that I honestly again not to dive into this topic that we might have in whole a whole hour talking about in the future. Um I, I think it's a moral obligation for us to be optimists. Yeah. Maybe. Probably. Anyway, <sighs> this this has been the new and improved uh, Flaming Hot Taste Podcast. With, Welcome back, baby. With these with these nice ass mics and stuff. Uh, <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. I am at C Benjamin Rucker. Jordan is Jordan M Calhoun. Uh, you can email us Flaming Hot Takes Podcast at gmail dot com. This has been fun. Let's get back in the booth. Start churning out these hot ass takes. Always a pleasure. All right, peace.